Hi, I'm Mel, and I'm a great for recovering Al-Anon. And I'm happy to be here tonight and to be able to introduce your speaker for the evening. Um, she interviewed me along with another girl for staying in the room with them for a weekend trip that we went on. And I had to meet certain specifications. And um, I didn't know her nearly as well then as I do now after spending some weekends with her. And uh, we've blown up alligators. And we have uh, uh, just tried to discover who was in our bathroom. And we have just had lots of adventures on those weekends. And she's got... A wonderful program of recovery. She's a wonderful friend. And I am so happy to be able to introduce her tonight because she's really special. And I beat her all the time at card games. So, Sarah Ann, y'all help me welcome Sarah Ann. Come on up, baby. Because the curb was painted yellow. It was a bulldozer. That's what it was. I ran over a bulldozer one night. And I'm sober, too. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Sarian, and I'm a grateful recovering Al Anon. I feel like I'm at home. I know 99% of you people here, and the 1% I don't know after tonight, I feel like I probably will. I, I love this program, I love Al Anon. It has done a lot. It has helped change my life. Um, this part of it I do not like. I do not like to speak. One time I was asked to speak and I said no. And I have regretted that ever since. And when Linda called me, it was on the tip of my tongue to lie, deny, whatever I had to do to get out of this. But I can't because this program is one of honesty and this is something that I need to do for me and if only one person in this room is touched by anything I have to say to help to live the Al-Anon way it'll be worth all these little butterflies and other stuff I've got going on in my body right now um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself I'll share a little bit of my experience my strength and certainly my hope. Uh, I was first introduced to Al-Anon 17 years ago. I was in the program about two years. I got well. I graduated. I learned just enough to be dangerous. And it took me two more years to get back. And I've been in the program just a little bit over 13 years this time. The first two years I was in, I do not count because I wasn't doing anything but taking up a little bit of setting space. Um, can't say I'm doing much more now, but at least they, they've gotten used to me, so they let me do this. Um, the alcoholic in my life is my husband. I've been married to him for 33 years. Um, that's almost a record. I'm sure it is for his family, probably, anyhow. Uh, unlike AA, 
Al-Anon doesn't give white chips. And if we gave white chips for losing serenity, then I could tile this room because I am consistently inconsistent. Uh, this program helps me to keep a little bit of balance in my life. I came into the program, no alcoholism that I could recall in my growing up years. I thought I had a very wonderful, happy childhood, and basically I did. Um, there were four of us children. I was the baby. I was the youngest, uh, naturally spoiled. The child before me and the child after me, my uh, mother lost at birth, and uh, so that just made it a little bit easier to rotten me. And uh, my brother was 13, and then I had a sister that was 11, and then I had a brother that was 7 when I was born. So by the time I came along, I was really an infant. And uh, growing up, there weren't a lot of cousins my age. I was a late child, late baby. But there was a lot of love, and there was a lot of uh, support in my family, uh, a lot of morals. Good character, good upbringing. Um, I'm very fortunate I wasn't uh, abused. I was not around alcohol or drug type situations. So I did. I had a very good uh, upbringing and uh, childhood. And I felt this way for the longest time until I got into the program. When I got into the program, I remembered my mother and my father, and it was the family bashing that I remember. Mother was always talking about my daddy's family. Uh, my daddy was talking about my mother's family. And I was the peacemaker. And it took getting into this program and working in inventory for me to realize this. Well, I have always been a peacemaker. I am still a peacemaker. And it causes me a lot of problems because I know that I can't fix it. But, boy, I sure do get in there and try. And uh, even now, I have to really be aware that peacemaker I, I need not be. Uh, my group knows this. They're used to me. They, they know that somebody's out there sick. Don't tell Sarah, and she'll go try to fix them. Um, a few weeks ago, I was going through a little rough time, one of these little humps in the road, and my son, who youngest son, lives with my mother-in-law across the road, and he came in the house, and he said, Mama, he said, there's this poor old bird out in the road, and I think he got run over by a car. And I said, is he dead? And he said, no. He said, I reached over and touched him, and he's alive. Well, naturally, I had to go out. I had to go save this bird, you know, just be the Savior. I went out and got the bird and brought it in, and it was a dove, and it was full grown. And his eye was matted over, and I wiped his eye out, and I put down some bird feed, you know, and put him in there in the air conditioner house and trying to figure out what can I do for this bird. I need to save this bird. I need to put him in a place where he can't be eaten for by another animal or harmed. Feed him, water him, look after him. But... He only had one eye. Now, I don't know if he was born like this or if it was a defect 
something had happened, but he only had one eye, and that's the reason I was able to get my hands on him. Maybe he was hit by a car. I don't know, but he he couldn't function very well. But I I was over there, and I, I said, Lord, why me? Why do I always have to go out and just grab everything and just fix them? Why me? And my son came back in about that time. This has been about 20 minutes after Barth bird in, and he said, Mama, where's that bird? And I said, he's over there. I hadn't decided what to do with him yet. And he reached over, and about that time, the bird flew up, and he grabbed him and opened the back door, and I was about to yell, no! And he let him go, and the bird flew off. Well, I've seen the bird since. I mean, because I feed anything that looks hungry, I feed. And the bird, I've seen several times come and be in the yard, and I've driven up, and he's been in the yard. But so that's... That's where I'm coming from as a caretaker. I have to take care of everything, and this is one of my defects that I'm having to work on. Um, inventory, I could probably do an inventory once every six months because I'm all the time digging up things and character defects and things that are wrong with me. I love young people. I love old people. I love babies. I love children. I've never met an al that I didn't like. I've never met an AA I didn't like. I have met a few that have just driven me absolutely wild. <laughs> and generally, when I look at why this person bothers me or irritates me or rubs me wrong, it's usually one of my character defects shining in this person. And that's the reason. I can't quite relate to them because I know what they're doing and I do the same thing. But this program is teaching me to put the focus on me and take care of myself. Coming into the program, when um, these ladies sitting around the room said, we didn't cause the disease and we can't cure it and we can't control it, I felt real, real Believed because I just knew I was the reason for the disease, reason the alcoholic drank. I got sick trying to control and cure. And that, I guess, is the reason why this defect is still hanging with me. I'm still trying to get my hand into everything, fix everything, and I have to go back and remember that I have no power over this. Um, I had kept all the focus on the alcoholic for a long time, and I had to realize that I needed to look in the mirror because that's where the problem was. And uh, he used to say that there should be a, something in my honor for putting up with him and for loving him and living with him during all the active drinking. And I used to agree. <laughs> But I think that there ought to, in turn, be something to honor him for putting up with me because I had heard coming in the program that the Al-Anons were as sick as the AAs, and I resembled that remark. The ladies in the room and eventually a few gentlemen joined our group, and uh, I would say that we were insane, and I didn't like that because 
I live in Milledgeville now. <laughs> and to me, excuse me, to me, when you talk about insanity, I think about all those little brick buildings with the bars in them. And I didn't like hearing that. I thought, insane, huh? I have never done an insane thing in my life. The time that I let my husband pick up my child from the skating rink, and he was drinking, and I did that to control him. If he had to pick up a child, he wouldn't drink. Well, he drank. He still didn't pick up the child because I had to, my controlling part had to go pick up the child and then go find the alcoholic so I could accuse him of forgetting the child. It never entered my mind that I was actually wanting the alcoholic to have my child in his car, in his state of condition. To me, that wasn't insane. I wasn't thinking about that. I went looking for him. Before I get to what happened when I went to look for him, I'll tell you this. A few weeks ago, I ran into a lady that was, and I haven't seen her in about 15 years. And I went over. She said a lot of good stuff, and I remembered it. And I went over to hug her neck to let her know that I had appreciated some of the things that she had shared many years ago and ask her if she remembered me, which I really. And she said, wait a minute, don't tell me. Don't tell me who you are. And she did like this, and she said, pistol-packing mama. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that wounded me. <laughs> Because I expected her to remember my name and something nice or sweet about me. <laughs> Instead, she remembered the insanity of me. I don't know why I expected any difference because for a year and a half to two years, I sat in there and I didn't have any recovery or anything to share for her to remember anything but the insanity. But this insanity goes to... You're talking about a lady who works for Georgia Department of Corrections now. I no longer carry a firearm. I no longer carry a pistol coder's license. I feel like anybody that just wants me, well, they're this, they're, um, I just do not have the need for firearms anymore, but I did at this time put a firearm in my pocketbook and went looking for my husband, and I knew where to find him. And I pulled up in the parking lot, and I watched him through a little window, and I was really wanting a reason to have to go in there and do something really horrible, if nothing but pull out my pistol and point it at him, you know. Um, and I could see him moving around, and in a little bit he came to the door, and I ducked over, and I didn't expect him to recognize our car, first of all. And then I acted real surprised when he asked me what I was doing laying down in the seat. And this, to me, this was sane behavior. But I went in to the bar, and I'd never been in a bar before, and it was sort of L-shaped, and there was a man sitting here, and my husband sat right next to him, and I was sitting here, and um, they brought me a Pepsi. 
uh, looked at me like I had a wart on the end of my nose. Um, and my husband, in his wisdom of living with me many years, said, Okay, people, this is my wife, and I can tell she is angry with me, and I will lay bets that she has a pistol in her pocketbook. Well, it got real quiet. And this man sitting between the wall and my husband at the bar said, Lady, I don't know you. I have nothing for you. I have nothing against you. But I want you to do me a favor. If you decide to shoot this SOB, would you please yell duck first? There was nothing insane about this behavior. Yet when I came into this program and y'all told me that I was not functioning on all eight cylinders, I really took that to heart and it hurt my feelings. And the longer I stayed around, the more I could see the error of my ways. And this program has taught me a lot. Um, I don't recall a lot of the hurt, the pain of living in 20 years of active alcoholism. When I first came into the program, I thought I would never forget. But God has a way of healing pain, and Al-Anons have ways of loving you to health. And this has happened, and I remember very few things. Um, Some things I choose to remember because of the insanity in my part of the disease. Uh, But as far as my having that pain or that fear that I had at the time that I came into the program, I don't have that anymore. When I go to meetings and there's someone in there that's really hurting and they're crying and they're in a lot of pain, they haven't even had a chance to work any of the steps, much less get to the part of doing an inventory. I can relate to them. And this old, I want to fix them, I sort of push it to one side and say, no, you have to let them do just like you did. It takes time to heal. Uh, I became a grandmother this year in January, and I'm very proud of that. (laughs) And Sue did, too. It's wonderful. I know why they call it grand now. Uh, It's just absolutely wonderful. I thought I was going to have to go out and adopt a grandbaby. I really did. But she is wonderful. She's at Daytona this week. It's a racist. Her parents are. She's being kept with them in the room by a sitter. But uh, I'm very proud of this little girl. A lot of things have happened to me over the past um, two or three years that has been painful, has been enlightening. Um, some more of these little bumps in the road of life. But that's Okay. I still got a lot of highway out there to ride down, and I deal with things as they happen to me. I remember that this too shall pass, that what I have going on in my life and for me right now at this time, next year at this same time, if it's still going on in my life, something's wrong. I'm not working my program. I'm not doing what I need to do. If I'm still hurting or suffering over something at that time. My uh, middle child, my only daughter, the mother of my grandbaby, is having a difficult time now with a lot of her pent-up feelings and anger of the years of alcoholism. 
you can take anyone you want to to meetings. You can get them to Alateen, to Al-Anon, to AA, and maybe the seed will be planted and they can recover. But I don't know of anybody that can take someone that they love, a family member, and have any success with them. They will take it from anybody but the family. This daughter of mine is in a lot of anger and pain. And I didn't realize it because she's never let this on, but I think it was at the birth of the child. She just says, I do not want my child to be around you and my daddy and hear any anger exchanges. And she says, and I don't know what to do about this, Mama. And here I am with my heart just ripped open, hurting. And I said, baby, pray about it. Ask God to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, because you've got to get rid of this pain and resentment that you're holding. And she said, Mama, she said, I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me to go to adult children or to go to Al-Anon. And I just sat there and I said, you're right. And she said, but I can't. It's not that. And I said, oh, but it is. I am sorry that you are angry, but I had to realize that this child, when my husband got into AA and I got into Al-Anon, these children were grown and moving out of the home. They have these old memories They have this old pain. They don't see this recovery. They're not in our home. They don't know what's going on in our lives. They say they do. Oh, this is just wonderful. But the pain from its anger, its resentment, I was not an adult child. I cannot understand this pain. But I talked to people in my program that were adult children. And they have shared things with me that have helped me. And I bought a new piece of literature. It's from Survival to Recovery. Um, We've had a lot of meetings in our group on this. And a lot of good things came out of it. But I bought this book because I thought maybe that would give me some insight into some of the pain and some of where my children are coming from. Because I have this need to understand I have made amends to my family. My husband has made amends to our family for the years. We've done this years ago. We've done it several times since. We're trying to work in recovery, not in pain. And when I got this book, it was like I wanted to absorb everything. But I do things a little different. I started at the back and started working this way because the back chapters is where it talks about the children living and growing up in an adult home with alcoholism. And uh, so that's where my pain is right now. But this time next year, I won't have this pain because I'll be working my program 
and I will be trying real hard not to control or not to fix anything. But I will be working real hard with my higher power that he opens doors and that he opens hearts and he continues to heal our family and that he continue to heal Sarah Ann because there's a little old innocent child over here that deserves a chance. And she needs to know us all. And I go over there and I love her and I just, I want to cry. And I do cry sometimes. But I want this hate and anger and resentment to be healed and for us to move forward. And we're all willing. It's just right now we've got this one child that seems to be hurting and can't let go. We have two more children and they're doing pretty good. You know, so far, I mean, they're, they're interacting. Um, but that's where I'm at today. And I have hope, and I have hope this program has given me that I will not be at this place this time next year if I do what I am supposed to do, and that is attend meetings and read my literature and share with my Al-Anon family and to speak if asked and all this good stuff. Um, my husband, bless his heart, he deserves a crown for putting up with me because I am a pain in the butt and I know it. I lived in active alcoholism for 20 years and I was like a little tiger in a corner. And living in a little bit of sanity and recovery sometimes is very hard for me. And sometimes I pick and I find myself picking. And see, it's okay for me to pick, but it's not okay for him to pick. And that's one of my defects, and I'm having to work on that. But he loves me anyhow. Uh, when I got ready to come over here tonight, he said, well, drive careful. Don't run everybody off the road. And uh, he said, and just be yourself and let God work through you to do what you need to do. And that's what I'm trying to do because I don't plan anything. Uh, first of all, I'm a little scatterbrained, and uh, I can't always remember which door I came in and which one to go out. That's the reason Neil had to bring me here tonight. I might have gotten lost. Uh, but I remember many years ago when my husband, I used my house used to be real clean. Oh, I mean, it was real clean. It was military clean because every time he would go out and drink, I was cleaning walls, under furniture. No self-respecting spider had a spot in my home. I mean, I was white glove clean for you people that have military background. And uh, my husband didn't really bother anybody. He'd just go out and drink, play pool, you know, and after a while he'd come in and he'd just want to go to bed and be left alone. But no, I couldn't do that. I had to be right there with my mouth waiting on him. And I made a lot of situations worse with my behavior. And I know this now. I mean, alcoholism doesn't need any gasoline thrown on it to explode. But I was the fuel for the flame. And um, I was the martyr, poor little old me, Sarah Ann, never did anything wrong. I was just a good little old wife and a good little old mother and a good little old housekeeper, and I just didn't do nothing wrong. 
And my husband came in one night, and I had a little uh, motive. He was drinking, and I was going to show him up for the drunk that he was. And it hadn't been 20 minutes since I had gone to bed. I had been so wrapped up in what I was going to do to him until I finally exhausted myself and went to bed. And just about the time I go to sleep, he comes in, and I wake up, and I think I'm going to get him. I'm going to show him up for who he is. And he came in, and me and my mouth went at it. And he got angry, and I got the car keys, and I ran out and got in the car, and he ran after me to stop me from whatever I was getting ready to start. And I pushed the power locks down and cranked up the car, and he jumped on the hood, and we went down the road. Now, the midnight of Paul Revere was nothing to laugh at. This was. He had visions of me getting on the main highway and opening up wide open. (laughs) But that wasn't in my plans. I wasn't out to air him out or to hurt him. I was out to expose him. So I pulled into my mother-in-law's yard, knowing my sister-in-law and my nephews were there, and I pushed down on that horn and woke up everybody. Now, I live out in the country, but we have neighbors. But when a horn starts blowing at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, you're going to get up and see what's going on. And he was trying to tell me, shh. And she, oh, she opened the door and came out. Well, see, I had done my part. I had exposed him for coming home that time of night and drinking and being obscene. Now, see, I wasn't obscene. This is all part of the insanity of the disease of alcoholism, and I was really caught up in this. I did a year, and it got worse and worse and worse. When I came into this program, I took a lot of the tools and our literature, and I used these tools to help me to get where I am. Some of my favorite ones were about the lady whose husband, when he's talking ugly to her, she visualized him as shooting poison arrows at her. I used that. One night he came in and he was just carrying on. And I sat there and I did this. I was visualizing that he was, these dirty words that he was throwing at me, these table legs that he was calling me and all this stuff was poison arrows and I was dodging them. Well, he didn't know what was going on, but he threw his hands up and he said, you're not even listening to me. You're not paying any attention to me. What's the use? And he left. And that was the end of that. No more battle, no more anything. But I took something that I heard in the program and I applied it the best way I knew how and it worked and it gave me some relief. And then I, I there's been times that he was ranting and raving, and I pictured him in that Central State Hospital up on about the third floor behind bars being insane. And I could look at him, and I could feel for him and say, I'm safe. You're up there. I'm down here. You're crazy. I'm sane. But see, I was taking the program, and I was applying it things that I had read to help me get over the hump because For the first 18 months that I was in the program and my husband was in his program, it was rough. Everybody told me it's going to be bad for the first year. And after the first year, 
you're going to get some recovery and it's going to be better. Well, at 12.01, after the first year, I wanted recovery. I wanted things to be well, but it didn't happen. It took a little bit longer. Now, with my reaction and the way I did things, and as sick as I had gotten from this disease, I don't know why I expected everything to just get perfect just like that, but I did. And the the more things advanced, the harder I got into my program and applied things that I'd learned. And I planted a flower bed. And uh, I couldn't tell you what one flower was from the, the other. But in my program, in my in our ODAT, it tells about a lady that planted a vegetable garden. And one day, she had lots of nice vegetables to eat. Well, I said, well, if she can plant vegetables, I can plant these flowers that I know nothing about. And every time I dug a hole, I was digging his grave. Every time I pulled a weed out, I was pulling his hair, or I was choking him, or I, in my mind, I was doing something to this alcoholic that was causing me all this pain. And I was really putting the fertilizer to these flowers. I was having a good time. I was taking out all my hurt, all my anger, all my pain into this flower bed. And I started feeling better. And I started taking the focus. I wasn't doing things to the alcoholic to provoke him. I was too busy provoking it in the backyard, and I got to feeling better. And I started having beautiful flowers. And this was my way of working the program, something I had read to help me through a hard time. Um, the happiest that I have been in this program is when I could get into service work. Um, I miss going to the breakfast, the workshops. I used to do that a good bit, the assemblies. I don't go to as many Al-Anon functions as I have in the past, and it hurts me. It doesn't hurt any of you. It hurts me. Um, I encourage anyone in here that if there's anything that you can do or if you feel the need to or you're asked to, don't say no. Do it. If you say no, you're hurting yourself. If someone asks you to speak or to hold an office or to chair a meeting or to go to assembly or be your group representative or do something in district, do it. Because in doing service work, you're giving back something that was given to you. And this program has literally saved my life. I could not and would not be standing here tonight had I not gotten to Al-Anon when I did. And I truly believe in my heart that I got here when I needed to get here. I didn't get here any sooner. I already told you I came in here one time and got well. Didn't take me long at all. I mean, I was working those steps. I didn't walk up those steps. I didn't work those steps. I ran up that ladder and I fell down on my bottom. 
But when I come came back, I got into what the programmer was really teaching me, and I had to use things that I had read from other people's experiences and apply them to my life any way that I could to help me. And it worked. Um, I have one more little piece of insanity I'll share with you, and then I'm going to hush up and not take up all this time. This daughter that I was talking about, the one that I didn't realize was in such pain, right before my husband found sobriety and I found Al-Anon, uh, my children were up in their teen years getting ready to move, you know, going to school and, and be out on their own. And My husband was out drinking one night and all the children were out of the house and my daughter was on a date and she came home late one night about 11.30, 12 o'clock. I don't even remember, but I was sitting in there at the kitchen table and she, um, no one was there, just me. And she came in and she said, Mama, what you doing? I said, well, I'm picking out some colors here for carpet and maybe some upholstery for my sofa and curtains, different things, you know. She said, what you going to do? And I said, well, I'm thinking about doing a little remodeling. She said, well, Mama, where are you going to get the money? And I said, well, baby, that's going to be taken care of. I said, earlier tonight, went back to the bedroom. I got down on my hands and knees, and I prayed, and I said, God, this man, this alcoholic in my life is driving me crazy. And I want you to wind him up so tight that he hits a tree. It doesn't hurt anybody but him. And I want you to take him out of my life and out of this world tonight. And he's got a lot of insurance money. And I'm going on a shopping spree. Now, at the time, that wasn't insane to me. And I didn't think anything about it until I got into the program. But the insanity of this disease is it is a family disease, a family illness. As my daughter sat down and started helping me pick out colors for the carpet. And that's what I had to make amends for. Because I had her so convinced that I was right and that this was going to happen. So it wasn't so much the alcoholic doing the damage to family. It was this little old sweet Alanon that thought she had a halo above her head that was doing damage too. Like I said, I've made them in several times, but see, the damage is still there. And it just keeps on, and it just keeps on. And that's why I have to come to this program. I have to come to this program for maintenance, for upkeep, and to help me get better. I wish I had something funny to tell you. I had a joke, but I'm not a joke teller. I, if I had one, I, it's been long forgot. Um... This program has just saved my life. I mean, I, it's just plain and simple. And the more you put into it, whether you want to or not, and the more that you don't say that N-O word and you do it, the better you're going to feel, the more recovery you're going to get. And you don't let this Ego, which is eases God out, get in your way.
Because if you start getting a big head, then something's going to happen to knock you down and to humble you and give you a little bit of humility and a little bit of honesty. And I've had a lot of bumps in my road. And I've had a lot of caution signs and yields and stop signs. And when I ignore these signs that are put there, this is my conscience. This is my higher power telling me, don't do this. Many years ago, I ignored this little voice, this conscience. And the stubborn side of me, I have a long line of family with big, long ears. We're all stubborn. And I think I got more of it than anybody else. But when I had these little signs, these little things telling me, don't do it. This is not it. I listened. A few weeks ago, I was out on a ladder with a broom in sudsy, soapy water scrubbing the eaves of my house. And the ladder moved. And I toddled around. And this little boy said, listen, lady, you're over a half a century old. There's nothing below you but concrete. And you're out here doing something you have no business of doing. You need to get down off this ladder before you end up with broke neck, legs, arms, or everything else. Ten years ago, I would have stayed on that ladder. But I got off that ladder because my little voice told me I shouldn't be doing that. And I tried to listen to this. And this is my higher power telling me, Sarah Ann, you're stubborn. You're willful. You're not working your program. You're not listening to me. You better get down or I'm going to get your attention. And that's what I did. I got down and I said, thank you, God, for helping me to remember I need to shut up and listen. I appreciate y'all inviting me tonight. I hope if there's just one thing that I said to help anybody in this program, that it worked. But these butterflies are still here, and I love you all. And even though I didn't want to do this, I thank you very much for asking me.